can imagine when you hit a renter with a 7% increase and they're expecting something that's sub 2%, that's problematic. And it can lead to turnover, it can lead to notices. And so really it's about managing and massaging the messaging. And it's all about the team. Hello, and welcome to Sink or Swim, a weekly podcast brought to you by RentSync, where we take a deep dive into the prop tech, multifamily, and rental housing industry. In each episode, we uncover the technologies and strategies used to help overcome operational challenges and increase the value of your multifamily investments. So let's get into our conversation today. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us. I'm really excited to be here and uh, moderate this panel. Uh, We have three uh, really experienced professionals uh, to hopefully share some knowledge. And we're going to be talking today about uh, lease-up, operations, and property management. A little bit of a generalist type subject. That's pretty much just the entire apartment industry, I guess. But um, uh, we're going to kind of dive into some individual topics from from each of those. Um, And uh, our friends here are going to share their knowledge with us. Uh, We've got some exciting stuff to share. Um, Just start off uh, with who we are. Um, I'm going to be your moderator. Uh, My name is Max Steinman. Um, I'm a partner at RentSync, uh, who is the lunch sponsor. So uh, you're welcome for lunch. I hope it was delicious. And um, I uh, head up all organic uh, and inorganic growth opportunities at RentSync, uh, which is a company that specializes in marketing solutions, both software and marketing and advertising solutions for the multifamily uh, industry. And I've been there for about eight years, um, but I've worked in the multifamily industry my entire uh, working career uh, before on the finance and ops side. Um, And in recent years, uh, with kind of the purpose-built rental boom that we're experiencing across the country, um, and in the U.S., um, you know, RentSync's evolved its services to really cater uh, to uh, the lease-up marketing services that uh, clients are needing these days, uh, which is very different than working with just stabilized assets. For our panelists, um, I'll start with, uh, I'll go right to left. Actually, I'll go left to right. Uh, we'll start with Lisa Jean. Um, Lisa is actually with SVN. Uh, Lisa is an operations specialist with over 14 years experience in multi-residential. Uh, she's work, she works with owners, uh, third-party clients, uh, contractors, designers, um, bringing the best product really to the market. Uh, her passion for renovations has been witnessed across Canada with over 100 in-suite renos, uh, multiple lobby, corridor, amenity renos as well. Um, and before joining SVN, um, she was uh, the district manager or a district manager for Real Star Property Management uh, for 15 years. Uh, we've got uh, my friend Todd, uh, Todd Nishimura. He is a senior director of marketing, leasing, and communications at GWL Realty Advisors. Um, some of you may recognize them or have known them as Vertica Residence Services, but I guess that's a, a rebrand uh, as of somewhat late two years ago or so. Uh, In this role, uh, he's responsible for leading and directing all brand, digital, and social marketing strategies. Um, And while at GWLRA, uh, Todd has led the the launch uh, marketing for six new multifamily developments in Edmonton, Calgary, Vancouver, most recently as well um, in two properties under the Livemore brand, which is uh, a brand that um, 
has definitely made some waves in the industry and uh, is pretty recognizable now. And uh, he started this month uh, on Chronicle, which is a 128-unit, uh, 21-story uh, community in downtown Vancouver. Uh, prior to joining GWL uh, in 2013, Todd uh, held marketing positions at the Four Seasons Hotel. Uh, and resorts and uh, Campbell's Soup Company. Um, so he brings a different perspective as well to, uh, to the multifamily industry. And uh, he holds an HBA from uh, Western University, MBA from Queen's University, uh, and currently taught as a board chair of Portage. Is it Portage or Portage? Portage, Ontario, which is a not-for-profit that also helps, uh, that helps uh, youth overcome drug and alcohol addictions. And uh, last but certainly not least, uh, we've got Ryan Funt. Um, Ryan has over seven years experience, uh, professional experience in residential and commercial property management. Uh, previously, Ryan worked for Rhapsody Property Management uh, as a regional manager where he was responsible for the whole eastern portfolio of Class A purpose-built rentals. Um, notable projects that you may have heard of uh, include uh, VL123, which is a Toronto project, Park Central, uh, Central Park Laval, which is in Montreal, and the Montgomery, uh, which is at Young and Egg here in Toronto. And Ryan leads uh, all-purpose-built rental marketing and, and strategy for Fitzrovia, which is uh, almost like a startup within our industry, a new brand, um, really up and coming. Um, and Fitzrovia is a fully vertically integrated developer and manager of Class A multifamily properties across the GTA. Uh, they currently have a portfolio of five, almost 5,000 units across 17 total towers and 4.6 uh, million square feet of gross construction area. Um, so they've kind of come out of the woodwork and uh, are doing big things quickly, uh, to say the least, and Ryan's a very busy guy. Um, and he holds a Bachelor of Commerce degree with distinction and a Bachelor of Environmental Design and Architecture from... Uh, Dalhousie, which uh, actually Ryan and I went to Dal together, so East Coast connection. So we're going to kind of go in through um, these subtopics and cover a lot of ground today. Um, we're going to start with marketing. Um, both Todd and Ryan have a lot of uh, marketing experience in our industry. And then we're going to kind of flow through almost like the value cycle or the value chain of um, how a renter uh, or the renter life cycle. Um, so starting with um, marketing, uh, brand, um, advertising, and technology, um, basically there's been an evolution in, in marketing in our industry in that it, it had for a very long time been seen as a way to fill units. Um, in purpose-built rental development, um, it can now also be seen as not just an expense, but a investment that you can make back into your assets that can actually drive the value of the asset itself. And I think that's what we're gonna sort of explore today. So we're gonna start with Todd. Um, Todd, uh, what are the key components of a sound lease up marketing and advertising strategy in 2021 when it comes to a purpose-built rental? And, and also, how do you know when to start the marketing of a project? Well, thanks, Max, and thanks to RentSync and uh, to Derek and uh, SVN for inviting me out to this. It's nice to be out um, 
I will reveal this is uh, this is the suit I bought in February 2020, uh, <laughs> which I'm now wearing for for the second time. The other time was for a funeral. So it's uh, it's nice to be out and about and and seeing people and talking in the industry. Uh, my colleagues who are saying uh, I, I like doing these forums and a lot of them have been virtual. So it's it's good to uh, get out and uh, put faces to names. Um, Knowing that the topic really about is, is lease up and new developments and assuming that that's what you're here to, to, to learn more about. I, I think the key word up here um, is really brand. And, and I think uh, Max set it out really well that uh, when I started in this industry uh, almost nine years ago, um, marketing I feel was the caboose, that it was an afterthought. Um, and maybe for some of you, not just an afterthought, but a frustration of like, what are we spending money on? And, and I, I think that, not across the board, but I think in those nine years, that uh, brand and marketing is, is now, at least in our organization, leading the conversation. Because in getting back to that word brand, of the importance of creating a, a strong brand to distinguish your offering, not just to get prospects to rent units in it, but um, for GWLRA Residential, really coming up with the brand early really sets the stage for a number of things. Um, it impacts design, um, it impacts signing and wayfinding. And if you have a cohesive brand, um, that will resonate. I think, you know, it, it, there's two schools of thought, and we were sort of saying this earlier as well, that, you know, maybe brand is meaningless and it's a bunch of pretty pictures, but um, I think in answer to the question of, of what to do, you know, start early. And, and I think have uh, uh, what we call the brand narrative. Have a story to tell about your offering. And um, I have a great respect for, for Ryan and what, what his firm is doing in, in having a story. Like, on, on its simplest terms, listen, you can create a name. A bunch of you in your boardroom can create a name. And then you can hire an agency to design a logo. And you know what? That, that might do. But I think that for us, uh, we're looking to create an experience. We strive to be the Starbucks of the multi-residential industry in Canada. Now, you may love Starbucks or you may hate Starbucks, but I think what you can't dispute about Starbucks is that they create an experience. And in creating that experience, they can command a premium. And we're all here about generating higher revenues and uh, a higher dollar per square foot. So we invest in brand in order to create that experience. Um, perhaps, Max, if you can go to the slide. Um, it's actually the next one. Uh, so we reordered it. Oh, or was it missing? I can talk to it. Um, <laughs> so, uh, as Max had, had referenced, we came up with the Live More brand, and we can leave it on that slide there if you like. But um, really investing the time and effort to come up with the story behind the Live More, that this was an aspirational brand about Live More, it's about doing more, whatever it is that you do or like to do. By renting in a purpose-built uh, uh, community, it'll allow you to do more of whatever you love. And then it kind of gets into that area of, uh, you know, security of tenure professional property management, but really having that aspirational, and I think what we're dealing with here at, at, at our company is wanting people to aspire and giving them a reason why they want to live with us as opposed to, say, Ryan's communities or something like that, but being able to tell a story that resonates with people that's meaningful. Um, and you could choose to do otherwise. It's not necessarily wrong, but I think in our experiences and taking great influence from what we see in the U.S., there's a story to be told, and we're surrounded by brands all the time. So how, how should or how is Purpose But Rental any different? I don't think it should be. Um, and, and really taking where uh, I spent eight years at Four Seasons Hotels and Resorts, brand was everything. And brand allowed you to charge 1100 bucks a night at Four Seasons New York. Because um, at the end of the day, it's a place to lay your head. Uh, and the same as our product. It's the same, but what are you telling? And, and really having sort of the brand as fashion statement of, of, I live at the Livemore. I live at the Waverly. What that means about you 
and, and what you say and just to be proud about where you live. So I guess in a roundabout answer to the question, start early, consider some of these things. You don't necessarily have to invest a great deal of money, but understand the story that you want to tell, who that demographic is, and be consistent and do it early. Because I've seen too many times, it's like, we'll come up with a name and then we'll go out there. It doesn't really mean anything. Um, and I think the more that you can direct both your staff and then definitely consumers, the, the greater your chances of being successful. Yeah, I think that's great insight. And I think the other thing to keep in mind is it, it doesn't have to be the McLaren brand. Um, it can also be the Subaru or their Toyota. Like people have a lot of brand loyalty to those other brands. So based on the asset class, obviously you need to find the right fit. But um, it's you know pertinent, pertinent regardless of the asset class, really. Um, so we'll go to you, Ryan, here. Um, so brand being important, how do you, how do you guys at, at Fitzrovia go about differentiating your brand and setting yourselves aside from the competition, say, aside from uh, Todd and the Livemore? <laughs> so I, I think that there's so many ways that you can set yourself apart and differentiate, right? There's artificial intelligence, there's chatbots, there's TikTok marketing now, um, there's influencer marketing now, uh, there's virtual tours, but specifically rendered uh, virtual staging, right? And it's amazing how far these rendering firms have come with respect to rendering in furniture into virtual tours. So you no longer have to actually invest in physical furniture in your model suites. Uh, but I think, you know, Todd hit the nail on the rock, right? Like consistency is king. So no matter how you choose to dif differentiate, you want to make sure that there's consistency. And I'll give you an example. You know, with the Drake Hotel, if you go to their hotel website and then you go to the Instagram page, you're going to get the Drake Hotel. It's going to feel like the Drake. Uh, similarly, with multifamily, if you have a property that's in lease-up and you have a Facebook page, an Instagram page, a property website, it should feel like your property and not like three distinct properties, right? That's, that's definitely fatal. So I think that, you know, consistency across the board is really, really important. Um, and uh, we're going to go through actually just a couple of examples of a uh, brand I recognize we're missing, uh, maybe a visual or two for you, Todd, but uh, do you want to just give us an example of, of uh, something that you guys have done uh, that's been really impactful and successful and unique uh, with the Livemore or any of your properties? So the images here are in support of our, our, our first Livemore that we launched in 2018. Uh, so the Livemore Bay Girard um, is at the corner of Bay and Girard, and uh, 595 units, uh, 43 stories. So this was at the time and continues to be the, the flagship multi-residential project for GWLRA. And uh, the question being, you know, something impactful or different that we did and something that I was uh, proud of. Um, again, I mentioned before about the Livemore brand. We really teased it out. We, didn't, we did a brand reveal and we had... Um, you know, uh, local city council there. We got on city TV news. We had our president there as well. Uh, but we really played more on this living more type of idea and work, play, live. And um, what we did, and, and with our, our creative agency uh, community, um, we created uh, interactive hoarding. So what this hoarding here is, you can see some drums, you can see a xylophone. Uh, we also did kind of a Scrabble board type of thing as well that allowed people to interact with it. And to the best of our knowledge, I think this was done in Spain, but I think we were the first ones to do it in North America as far as I know. Um, and it really paid off. And I think this is what I was referring to before of tell a story, make it consistent. So this 
paid off, you know, about living more, doing more. Do you like music? Do you like crossword puzzles? Whatever it is that you want to do. And it allowed people to interact, and it was a great capture point. So this is actually on the uh, west side of Bay, um, just south of Girard, that we did it in. And I think it was an innovative way to do it. Um, and again, referencing back to brand, we still could have done this, and it could have been in support of a brand that had nothing to do with Live More, and would it have been effective? Possibly. But there needs to be, to, to Ryan's point, some consistency. Does it all make sense? Do the touch points all, all pan out and deliver the same message? And I think the more that it does, there is strength in that number and, and that equity. Um, and this was you know, not incredibly expensive to do. And it really had an impact. And prospects came back and talked about it. And it, it got us on the news as well. That's really cool. Um, and uh, Ryan, do you have an example of something unique or impactful that you guys um, have done recently? So this is interesting, I would say. Um, so the, the figure that you're seeing there on the left, his name is Birdo Jerry Rugg, and he's a micro-influencer, 19,000 follows on Instagram. Uh, and he's also a famous muralist. He's done commissions in Russia and Shanghai and Los Angeles and Montreal. And um, he did this two-story mural in the lobby lounge at the Waverly, and he did a fantastic job. And we approached uh, Jerry Rugg and we asked him, would you be interested in doing some YouTube miniseries to help promote the property? And he willingly agreed, which was fantastic. And uh, the amount of impressions we got from this was amazing. And it was an authentic tie back to the property, just given the art component and how important art is to the Waverly. Uh, and then it just, it, it resonated with our target consumer as well. Um, and then, you know, more opportunities started to blossom. Um, he launched a swimsuit line, uh, which you see here. Uh, we got to shoot some incredible lifestyle photography and really, you know, promote our pool amenity. Uh, and we also got to... Did you ever get to see his face? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, he reveals it sometimes. <laughs> He's quite the character, you guys should meet him. But anyway, uh, we were able to uh, offer residents 50% off Birdo swimwear, uh, free shipping as well, and it was just an amazing um, addition to the marketing campaign at the Waverly. Yeah, and these are like really out-of-the-box ideas, um, and uh, you have to also be doing the fundamentals well, too, in order to get to this level. Um, but really, really cool. Appreciate you guys sharing that. Um, just in the interest of time, we're going to keep moving. That was our kind of marketing segment. Um, we're going to get into leasing, and, um, and Lisa's been uh, patiently waiting because she's got a lot of good knowledge to share with us uh, in leasing <laughs> and operations. Um, you know, having an amazing marketing campaign and doing the right fundamentals from a marketing perspective um, and, and investing real dollars into marketing um, can sort of all, it can be, all for naught uh, if you don't continue to invest down the, the value chain into uh, leasing. Um, so we'll start with Lisa. Um, just how important is it, Lisa, to have a professionalized leasing staff? So as we all know, as Max just said, you can spend lots of money on your advertising and your marketing, but if your staff aren't actually closing any deals, uh, you're sitting with a long lease up or sometimes you know um, the staff will take the path of lease resistance and they're leasing really fast and they're not communicating back you know hey this unit is 
going like hotcakes. We've rented 10 out of 20. There's an opportunity there to increase the rent on that particular suite type, especially in lease up. Or it could be that uh, you have a suite for whatever reason people just don't like. Could have a pillar through the middle of it or something like that. Um, and if that's the case, then you need that feedback from the staff as well. So a great leasing agent, a well-trained leasing agent will keep all this information in mind and be constantly communicating back up so that you have the opportunity to make adjustments throughout your lease up. You may want to push the rents on some units and you may want to reduce the rent on some units. And I know, oh my God, reduce the units. Uh, but if not reducing the units stalls the velocity of your lease up, you're no further ahead in the end. But if you are adjusting rents up and down consistently through your lease up, at the end, which is what this slide basically is indicating you have the opportunity to grow your base rent so that at the end of your lease up not only have you maintained a great lease up velocity you've also increased the value of your asset by increasing your base rent and that's what a really good leasing agent will do for you because a leasing agent isn't paid to sell a unit they are paid to close a deal, and that's very important because if they're just, you know, doing the typical walkthrough, um, there's lots of units to walk through. You need someone on the ground that is going to make that person feel special and make them want to rent at your building. Awesome, yeah, and, and this visual, I mean, it shows a good versus great scenario. Um, and it, it's the same argument uh, as it relates back to, to marketing. You could, you could do this exercise, um, sort of a pro forma exercise, uh, across almost every, uh, every department within your organization. Um, you can see a 100-unit building. The good versus great scenario is maybe $4 million worth of exit value uh, generated. So that's the difference, in my opinion, between a, an expense, a leasing expense, a marketing expense, and, a, and an investment. Um. And, and Max, you know, what I'd like to, to add to it about this as well for the, the, the groups here is that um, a great leasing consultant for a stable legacy asset is not the same skill set as a lease-up new development leasing consultant. You, you can, but uh, I would encourage you to recognize the differences that, um, especially, again, as it relates to brand, that if, if you are creating a brand that is very sophisticated and hip or cool or whatever adjective you want to use, you want to make sure that your frontline people, your leasing consultants, are reflective of that brand. I would agree with that uh, because you don't want, uh, in a lease up, no matter what the size of your property is, you don't want the fella who is also doing the maintenance doing your lease up. And, and that happens, uh, unfortunately. But, uh, I mean, if you want to sit with your lease up forever, that's up to you, but um, you certainly will sit longer with your lease up if you don't have the right person in play at the time of the lease up. Interested in being a guest on Sink or Swim or have a really great idea for an episode? Email us at podcast at rentsync.com. And, and Lisa, um, I'll ask you one more question on this, not just finding the right person, but training them well. What goes into that? What what is the training process? 
Um, can you talk a little bit about the importance of training? Sure. So uh, I just happened to do a market survey or telephone shop yesterday, and um, the individual that answered the phone basically, well, he just said hello. He didn't even say the property's name. So I was like, uh, hi, is this, you know, ABC Apartments? <laughs> and, and then the conversation went on, and, uh, but I led the conversation. Uh, and in a lease-up, that is definitely not what you want. That's not what you want in a stabilized building. If you have any a, a vacancy at all, no matter what the reason, you want somebody answering the phone that's going to engage the person on the other side, that is actively involved in asking the right questions, that is trying their best to get them to the property. And I know with COVID, we've all done a lot of remote um, activities in order to get rentals, but at some point, people will start to want to come to your building and you don't want your leasing agents to lose that skill set of talking to and engaging the person on the other side of the telephone. And even if they are engaging that person via email, for example, they need to have the proper responses coming back. And to Ryan's point, consistency and communication is vital. So your staff need to be trained on telephone techniques. They need to have scripts for email responses. They need to be responding within 24 hours, not, you know, two days later. Your, your prospect's gone by then. Um, they need to be providing customized tours. So when they are engaged in communicating to that person, whether it's face-to-face, -face, on the phone, via email, they need to be creating and curating a customized tour or response package. So navigating them through their website, navigating them through your PDF e-brochures or whatever, um, providing a customized tour on site or virtually. And I would strongly suggest in your customized tours, you, you'll probably have a library of generic ones but if you can customize it and some people have been quite creative with they're just basically you know walking with their phone and videotaping themselves or doing a you know a, a phone you know a video phone script with them if they're interested when they've garnered information from them if they're interested in the gym that's where you're going to go first if that's what lit up their eyes when you were talking to them or they said, oh, wow, I'm really excited about the gym because I won't have to pay fees, then that's what you need to take them to first. Don't take them to the four walls of the unit. Everybody has four walls of a unit. You need to engage a dialogue that shows the community and shows the value of your asset as a whole, not just the unit. And that's what a really good trained leasing agent will do. Take them to your all your amenities first before you, I would I would strongly suggest taking them to every amenity you have, even if that's outside amenities, before you take them into the unit. Because then you've created a value. I get all of this plus the unit for XYZ dollars, right? So not, it's not just, oh, I get these four walls for XYZ dollars. And you see that a lot. It's just, you know, the random tour that says, here's the bathroom, you know, here's the closet. Find out what's important to that resident and show them what you can give them in your suite offerings.
So SVN has a great training program for that. <laughs> <laughs> That's our little segue. Um, and our next, our next session is running in November. So it's uh, seven Zoom sessions. So it's all virtual, but uh, we go over these things. We have over 15 types of closes that we can train uh, staff on to ask for the close, because that's the other thing. People, you know, they provide all the information, but they don't actually ask for them to live there. They don't actually ask to start the paperwork. And that's a skill you have to teach some people. So um, we do that. Uh, it's interactive. We have breakout sessions. We have quizzes. Um, and it's, it's homework, for example. So it's very interactive for the people. And we also answer many questions, not only from a leasing perspective, but if they have, I don't know, um, some kind of conflicts that come up in the building from a property management perspective, we can assist with that as well. Or, you know, point them in the right directions if that's the case. Awesome. Thanks for sharing. I've actually been through that. Uh, leasing session myself because I just wanted to learn that persona more, the leasing persona, and it, uh, it is really helpful. Um, I think the key takeaway is you have to train these staff. You can't just find talented people. Um, you really I would also say people. for, sorry, for a stabilized building, retrain your staff because we've had such low vacancy, especially in the GTA, uh, well, outside pandemic, um, or even in the other larger city areas, um, even Halifax, we were talking about earlier, has a very low vacancy right now. Um, and staff who've been with you for 5, 10, 15 years get complacent. They get used to doing the same things over and over again. And ultimately, technology changes, times change, the person that's renting is different, you know, the age group is different. So retrain your staff as well. Definitely. Um, so moving along to um, how a, a new purpose-built rental will transition eventually, uh, if you're doing all these things right, to um, a stabilized asset um, or near stabilization, um, I just want to touch on how your marketing and leasing efforts may change at that point and what to expect. Um, so I'll, I'll start with you, Todd. Like, What changes in the marketing strategy at G GWL as an asset nears stabilization or enters uh, stabilization? Um, yeah, I, I think first and foremost, and it may sound odd, I don't know, but, but have that strategy. Clearly understand amongst yourself and your team in the project, what is our strategy, i.e., you know, is it, is it about a velocity absorption? Are you doing this for cash flow? Or is it about ultimately valuation? Because those become very, very different things. That's, um, uh, instance, uh, Chronicle, our, our, our new uh, project in Vancouver, you know, we're, we're trying to reach the highest dollar per square foot that we can. So we're giving ourselves a long runway. We're giving a year to do 128 units because we want to really juice up that, that dollar per square foot uh, to the point that if we lease this up in three months, we have failed. We've left money on the table because we've just priced ourselves too low. So, you know, really consider and, and be, be firm in your conviction of, what, you know, circumstances change that allow for certain things, but walk into it with a plan and a strategy of what it is you're trying to achieve and why you're trying to achieve it. And then as through the course of it, I guess the question really be how you move from lease up to stability. 
lease up is going to be more of an investment that what we do is you know there is a launch events and, and spending the money like what I was showing before where we had media there was there was an expenditure that's involved with it you don't necessarily have to do that but really recognizing to get your name out there and to start it off being you know uh, out of home advertising your ILSs your your print advertising if you choose to do that it will be heavier up front because it does take some time to build that velocity before you go from launch to temple. And then as you are leasing up, I, I think for me at least, it's just really a measure of, of being efficient in the spend and cost containment. You don't have to spend as much when your inventory is dwindling and you're gonna be left with probably the highest price units in your dogs. But I think it's just a matter of know what you're gonna spend, but it's, it's not a straight line of 12 months and divide those costs. It's gonna be heavy up at the beginning and slope downwards as you, as you get to stability uh, to do that. And yeah, I, I think that this is typically, you know, your, your mileage may vary, but you know, about a year to, to get things up. But I think being mindful, and I've said it once, I'll say it again, I can't stress enough of what is your plan prior to this thing starting? Because if you are going to, you know, if you're building the plane in flight, as I like to say, that is just fraught with error and, and you know, you're, something's gonna go and it may not be good. So just really decide, you know, it, and you know, have a plan and, and stick to that plan unless events and circumstances change. Appreciate that insight. And, and um, you know, one thing to kind of keep in mind too, it may feel like you could take your kind of foot off the gas pedal a little bit. Um, and I'll jump to, to Ryan on this, but um, generally speaking, turnover is quite high in, in year two, if, if, if you were to kind of fall within the average of leasing up in 12 months, um, you know, why, why is that uh, and, and how can that be mitigated, do you think? That's actually, can you guys hear me? Yeah, okay. That's actually a really good question. I would, I would just say that um, the lifting of rent controls on new product, that's a very novel concept. It's even more so a novel concept in the eyes of the consumer and in the eyes of the renter. Right, so they can sign a lease at a brand new property in downtown Toronto, um, thinking that your property is subject to rent controls when it's not. And so you can imagine when you hit a renter with a 7% increase and they're expecting something that's sub 2%, that's problematic and it can lead to turnover, it can lead to notices. And so really it's about managing and massaging the messaging and it's all about the team. It's about the team component, and we keep going back to that. Um, that's really, really important. Um, and so what I also find interesting is you see a lot of operators taking their key heavy hitters on the leasing side at stabilization to the next lease up. It's not necessarily a bad strategy, but what I would encourage is that some of your heavy hitters are on the ground at stabilize because they need to get you those above market increases year over year. Yeah. I guess what I would add to that in terms of if, if your development is in a major center, like if it's downtown Toronto, expect a 30 to 40% turnover. Doesn't matter, don't tell me how well your operations are and everything, it's, it's not your fault. It's people's lives change and they're gonna move out, A. B, if you are offering concessions and as many of us, all of us have during the pandemic, and if you offered one month or two months, I saw three months, we never did that, but at the end of that one year, that, that residence net effective rent is gonna spike and they need to kind of figure out, and that's where a lot of the turnover happens, where they just kind of you know, face facts and say, I can't afford this anymore. 
So build that into your thinking, and I, I guess I'll give another tip of what we do. If you are giving one month or two months free, don't blend that across the course of, of that one year. Place it up front so that in the first couple of months they're rent free, but then by month two or month three, they're not paying net effective, they're paying market for what that is. So it's, it's, uh, it's easier for them. Now they have 10 or 11 months to get used to what that rent is. So at the end of the term, there is really no net effective anymore. There is no spike because presumably they've had 10 or 11 months to get used to paying that rent. But I think that's the number one thing for us, especially with new developments of why are you moving out? You, when it breaks my heart, oh, I love it here. It's great, everything else. Why are you moving out? I can't afford it. Um, but turnover is a fact of life and something to really consider and build into your P&Ls, um, especially when you're doing new lease ups in, in the metropolitan area. That's an interesting perspective because um, uh, a lot of owner operators, that's exactly what they do. They take that concession and divide it, you know, and, and then it's a big hit when they move out. So loading it up front kind of does make sense. I don't know how the accounting works out, but yeah, it's a good, a good idea. And I can imagine that your well-trained SVN leasing agents um, likely aren't going to be pointing out uh, the non-rent control scenario and the potential <laughs> of 7 or 10% uh, increases at the time of getting those deals closed. So, um, it, you know, turnover, it, it should, it can be a good thing, um, but as long as you see it coming and you expect it and you plan, you strategize your marketing and leasing efforts around it and it doesn't just kind of hit you and side rail you out of nowhere. So um, we're going to keep moving along uh, into operations. Um, and it's operations, you know, is, is a massive topic. I'm going to try to relate this back to kind of the, the effort it takes to fill the building in the first place. Um, and how operations can impact that um, because it ultimately operations is part of the product. Um, you know, the, the four walls are the product, but the staff, the maintenance people, that's part of the product as well. So um, we'll start with Lisa on this and uh, just love to hear what some of the key considerations uh, are for an apartment developer um, in order to decide kind of Oh, I'm sorry, I'm on the wrong question here. <laughs> um, how does operating a brand new building, <laughs> this makes more sense, differ from operating a stabilized building, and what considerations do you need to keep in mind? Uh, well, in operating a brand new lease-up, um, you have to remember you have all these people coming to you, and they're new to you, and you're new to them. So no matter what their um, history is for accommodation, maybe they're a seasoned renter, um, they're still new to you and you're still new to them. So communication is key. You have to have good processes up front and you have to communicate well during move-in, um, while they're first there. You need staff. As soon as you have occupancy, you can't have the leasing agent be the one who's renting the units. Uh, I mean, especially uh, if you have anything over 50 units, if you have one person that is, you know, doing all the move-ins, um, helping with the deficiencies in the units, uh, running around, you know, with contractors and trying to rent your units, your lease-up is going to go slow, no matter, you know, 
where you are, what product you have, or how much money you spent on advertising and marketing. So have staff, have cleaning staff. It's really bad to have a really nice product and all this effort in your advertising and marketing, but you're in construction for the most part in a lease up, especially at the beginning, there's still some sort of construction going on, whether it's in your parkades, your exterior, you might have achieved occupancy in stages. So, you know, you might have the first 10 floors, but the next 10 floors are still under construction. Make sure you have cleaning staff, whether that's your own staff or whether you outsource that staff, it's vital. Don't let your leasing people do that work for you. One, it won't be done properly, and two, again, you're taking them away from their uh, primary role. The other thing I would suggest is having a proper uh, move-in resident handbook, uh, whatever you'd like to call it. But make sure it's something that is for the resident and for a user purpose. So. Things like um, what to do, especially in new builds. Everybody thinks a new build, there's never going to be any maintenance issues, but um, <laughs> like you can have uh, no filters in the HVAC systems, you can have the hookups not to your washers and your dishwashers, you can have flooring issues, jip rock pops, I mean, the list goes on and on. So if you don't have and look, elevator problems, very common in new bills. Try sorter issues if you're using them, very common in new bills. If you don't have a communication piece out to your incoming uh, tenants, and it's even nice to have on display for when you're renting and leasing to say, oh hey, this is what we give out to the residents so that they understand what's going on, gives them a sense of comfort. It's not a marketing tool though to say how great the developer is. If you want that piece, have it in a second document. You know, so you know, whatever sustainability things they have used, uh, initiatives they have taken, what their mission vision statement is, yeah, it's a great marketing tool, but your resident is going to maybe glance through that and turf it at some point. You want them to keep the manual for ongoing purposes. So communication, like I said, is key. That is not only face-to-face, -face, but in documents you can provide to them. And that's no different really in lease up than in stabilized. It's just, you need to ramp up for lease up. You need to have these things in place for occupancy. Don't don't have 20 people already moved in and none of this done, you're doing it in the back end. You need to do that up front. So it's almost part of your marketing plan. Um, and then maintenance. So in a new build, again, lots of issues pop up. Make sure you have somebody available, whether that's a contractor that's still on site because you still have a construction going on, whether it is a maintenance person that you use that goes from building to building, or it's someone dedicated to your building, make sure somebody's there so that the response is within a reasonable time. One, we should be responding within 24 hours to the inquiry or to the email, whatever's given to you. But somebody should be showing up within 48 hours to do some kind of work or assess the problem. And if you don't do that, especially in lease up, your Google reviews are going to be bad. 
and it's it's evident all the time. There's there's so many examples out there. Um, so it's a it's something that you are in control of to make sure that your lease up goes well and your brand is well represented uh, in this space. At least I think a more practical consideration for many of you, I guess, are developers. Um, the day you get occupancy should not be your move-in day. Um, we allow a month. We learned that the hard way. But first of all, too, especially in the city of Toronto, the occupancy permit is, I, I won't get into it because I'll get frustrated and upset, but like how, how and when they do that. But whenever that date is, do not, I would just say, do not have your move-in date to be within even that same week. Allow a month, allow a month to get your, your house in order, the back of house systems, to make sure everything's there. And, goes, and as we've been saying consistently, that first impression is really important. Um, and we're just touching on that Google reviews, but that could have negative impact on your lease up if people had, if people had a shitty experience moving into your building. And allow yourself that time of at least a month to get everything. And if you find out you don't need a month, great, go crazy. But to, like, and I've been, I've lived through this where our, our move-in was the day after that we got occupancy and we were not ready. And through the skin of our teeth, we got it done. But I think it's planning and understanding just to give yourself enough time uh, to navigate through that because it never happens. I, even with our development team the other day, I said, I cast no aspersions on the development team, but six months out, you know, you're not gonna, I've, I've been in this industry a while, it never hits on the date six months out. It never will. It never, ever, ever will. Plan for that. Yeah. Plan for that, otherwise you're gonna be running around with your hair on fire and it's not a good feeling. And we do see this quite a lot where it's like, oh, I, uh, we're planning for occupancy, you know, November 1. We're gonna start move-ins November 1. Uh, it, it's, it's, yeah, it's just a nightmare f uh, for your staff that's trying to accommodate, for the residents moving in. Add 60 days to that, and if you're ready, you go back to them and you say, we can now accommodate a bit early, and maybe they're willing to do so, but definitely put some pad on the date that construction gives you. That's uh, good wisdom. Um, I think it's important to know, because uh, Lisa, you made a comment about Google reviews, like it's your operations that will drive your reputation. Um, the building itself, the amenities, um, you know, how nice the countertop is in the sink, that's actually not going to drive your reputation. People know what they're signing up for. They've presumably toured the, the building um, and it's meeting their expectation. Um, so all of your reviews are going to have to do with your operations and then your reviews basically make either your leasing staff's life terrible or much easier, uh, one of the two, uh, generally nowhere in the middle, um, and also your marketing team. Um, and so it all kind of goes back to, to the beginning, um, which is probably where we'll leave it because I got the zero flashing at me. Uh, we do, do we have time for some questions? Uh, Rob, okay. Uh, okay, we'll take some questions if anybody has any. Um, so if you're a, a third-party marketing firm working with a developer, how do you convince them that they should be adding 30 days to that opening period versus occupancy? I, I think, I don't know if there's an immediate case study, but I would, I would scare them. <laughs> and the fact of what, and, and I'm being serious, of what would happen if you are not ready in time, like for, for us, 
With each new development, we have blocked off hotel rooms in close proximity to. We have uh, arranged or built into the budgets um, a per diem to cover food. Um, we're also looking at and preparing them for, despite the fact that we have addendums that say, you know, you're, you're moving into a live construction site, these things might be delayed. And, and legally, with the RTA, it's the, pro, it's the resident's responsibility, they can't rely on us, but that doesn't mean anything. That if their move-in date doesn't happen, all they do, and the media loves this, I'm out in the cold, I'm, I'm, I'm sleeping on a couch, because those bastards at GWA and it wasn't ready yet. <laughs> So I, I would then say, in, in answer to your question, present them with the alternative and to say, are you really sure that you're going to hit the post with this date? Because, you know, nine years here, eight years in real estate at Four Seasons, it never, because there's just too many things, it's too big, it never ever hits the date. And I would just sort of say, what do you have to lose? Like when you look at the downside risk of missing that date and the reputational risk and how it could serve to stall the project entirely, What's 30 days going to mean in your overall burn rate on the on your costs? So that's what I would say. I would agree with that. You um, like if if people show up on the first for moving and you're not ready, who's going to pay their moving? They've already. Where's the guy going to put their stuff? That means there's a cost to the tenant. It's tenants going to want back from you. So. And I'll I'll just add that tenants aren't necessarily all that forgiving, right? When you're selling them on a lifestyle that's five star, four seasons with an infinity pool and a rooftop gym, and you tell them it's gonna be ready for May 1st and it isn't, but you're still expecting, you know, at market rent for 20, a, you know, a foot. They're, they're just not forgiving, right? Because they feel that they're spending on that gym, on that party room, on that pet wash, right? And so reputation is everything and you know they're they're not necessarily wrong and and they can take things further right like we've definitely seen tenants you know gang together and start tenant associations which is another nightmare so you know to Todd's early point like build in that extra time like pad it up by 2 months at least and i guarantee you that's conservative 2 months as padding is conservative and if they're not prepared to do the padding then they should be prepared to add extra costs to offset any displacements. 100%. Um, maybe another question, uh, if we, or we gotta wrap it up? Okay. Um, good as in time for another question or time to get off stage. Okay, we're getting the hook. Uh, so I think that was an excellent panel. Really appreciate it. Let's hear it for our panelists. And hopefully we all took something away from that. So. You've reached the end of another episode of Sink or Swim. Make sure to visit us at rentsync.com forward slash podcast to access show notes, key takeaways, and where you can sign up to our newsletter to receive free bonus content. If you found value in this show, please also remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Don't forget to join us next week for another episode. Thanks for listening.